On the show this week, my guest is Lars Croyer, an author and former hedge fund manager. We look at the truth about hedge funds, the content Lars creates to help demystify investments, and why it's wrong to believe you can beat the markets. Welcome to episode 168 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh, helping you keep your marketing strategies simple and the BS at bay. Hey folks, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thank you, as always, for downloading or streaming the show. I really do appreciate you taking the time to plug me and my guests into your earphones. Before we get into this week's interview with Lars Croyer, just to remind you, if you need help with your marketing, if you're looking to put together a simple marketing strategy without BS, without bloat, without complexity, I can help you. We can do it over Skype, we can do it over Zoom video, or we can do it over normal phone call. Just get in touch. Let's have a chat about your business. Let's have a chat about how you want to grow your company. So this week's guest is Lars Croyer. We chat about why there's a misperception about hedge funds, how Lars' second book came about, why Lars recommends index tracker investing, why investing needs to be viewed as a long game, why most people can't beat the markets, and what readers have learned from Lars' latest book. So let's get straight into that interview with Lars right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Lars, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Lars, tell me, where are we Zooming each other from? I nearly said Skype then, but of course we are are on Zoom. I am in London. And... Just west of Kensington Palace. Of course, I'm in Edinburgh, as always. Lars, thank you very much for coming on the show. And you've got a really interesting story to tell. You've you've um, put together a very interesting series of videos called Investing Demystified. You've uh-huh. written quite a few books on the subject of investing. So there's quite a lot of things that we can talk about today. But before we get into that, Lars, maybe give everybody a little bit of background about yourself, where you came from, how your career developed, and, and basically sure. what, ma- what makes you tick, Lars? <laughs> well, maybe those are two separate things, but we can get to that. But um, yes, it might be well, I'm Danish, but I haven't lived there since 1990. I lived in the U.S. for 10 years, in the, especially in the 90s, mm-hmm. and moved to London in 99. So my background is I was a hedge fund manager for many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I set up my own fund. Well, first I was an investment banker for my sins, but then I became a hedge fund manager and set up my own fund here in London in 2002. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I did that until um, incredibly fortuitous in early 08. I basically sold slash unwound the fund. And uh, and since then, I'm, I just, it's complete transparency, I'm still sit, invest in hedge funds and sit on the board of multiple funds. So so that's really the, the call professional background. Mm-hmm. Um, what then happened was I, I ended up writing a book about my experience of starting and running a hedge fund. And the reason I did that really was because I was kind of annoyed with all the stories that were out there. They were always about sort of, the Bernie Madoffs of the world or some guy driving Ferraris or making billions or losing billions. And I thought, well, 
yeah, I sort of lived the story, right? I lived the life of having started and run a hedge fund, and um, and I didn't think it was a boring story, but it also wasn't all of the hype. Mm-hmm. Right? So it was like the real version of all the crap. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to try to write a book. Uh, you know, it ended up doing quite well. And so then the, the publisher came back and said, Do you want to write another book? And, and I thought, well, you know, I've always been very interested in, in fact, I was originally going to get my PhD in this stuff and teach, but I've always been very interested in portfolio theory. And so, and, and not only portfolio theory, but this concept of like beating the markets and what does that mean mm-hmm. and how individual investors should be thinking about stuff like that, sort of thinking about like, if I could write a, a book for my mother, then you know, what would it be? And so that became the second book uh, called Investing Demystified. And then what happened after that is um, someone from the publisher said, you, know, you should really do a couple of videos around this because that'd be kind of interesting to some people that are not going to read you know, a 200-page book on investing. They can watch a five-minute video. So I got a friend who was in, in that space to help me do a, a short video series and put it up on YouTube. And then, you know, so that became the beginning of a bunch of videos that was really, I'm doing almost as a hobby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and now I've been watched, you know, not quite as much as a Justin Bieber video, but, you know, for, <laughs> for given the topic, it's been watched a ton. Mm-hmm. And so that's really been great and very affirming. So that's my, I don't know if that covers it. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I guess so many people have... I don't know, inbuilt perceptions of certain subjects. And obviously your first book, Money Mavericks, Confessions of a Hedge Fund Manager. I think quite a lot of people have got this image of hedge funds as being a bit dodgy. And mm. probably what that means is they really don't know what they are. And they've probably <laughs> they've probably listened to newspaper reports or they've seen them in TV series and, and they just mm. assume that there's something Oh yeah, I'm watching Billions right now. Have you seen that? <laughs> oh yes, indeed. Well, that's a perfect it's, example. It's, it's kind it? of interesting, right? Because you take that as an example. I'm actually really annoyed. It's great entertainment. But what really annoys me about it is the, the, the manager is a criminal. Mm. He is a crook on a lot of levels and and he somehow gets away with it. And because he's this rich, good-looking, charming guy, we're sort of meant to think that that's okay. Yeah. But it actually—I mean, not forget about hedge funds, but just as a like, hopefully, an ethical person, that just bothers me. Like, no one would make movies about war criminals getting away with it and that being okay, right? But this somehow—he's like a finance guy getting away with it, but it's part of the entertainment and. I don't know. Just anyhow, it's good entertainment, but it's it's not. Whoever is listening to this, this is not what hedge funds are like, or it is for. I know it's actually based on a real person. It might be a very, 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 very small handful of um, hedge funds out of the ten or twelve thousands in existence today. So it's not. It's not real life. Anyhow, I, think, I, I, think, I digress. I think we could probably trace this all the way back to the uh, Michael Douglas film Wall Street, which must have been mm. made in the eighties, which was a similar yeah, sort who's of another thing. Crook, I guess. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And and again, it it just reinforces these stereotypes mm. on the whole created by media and created mm. by um, television and and mm. films. And 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 hopefully, what the fact is, one of the reasons I want to write the book because when I looked at the work we actually did and the people I interacted with, I, I felt I was lucky enough to be around some of the, I mean, literally smartest people in finance, mm-hmm. and they were hardworking, they were ethical, they cared an awful lot about what they did, and then they took the bus home. Mm-hmm. 
I had the tube home and my, you know, yeah, some of them made more money than any most people can possibly imagine, but they were just smart, hungry people doing something they loved. And because you're throwing around so much money at a young age, and there are a lot of absurd sort of, by any reasonable standard, things that come from that, mm. it makes it really interesting. But mm. it's not, it doesn't make it dodgy. It doesn't make it always high-flying. It doesn't mean that everyone goes out drinking every night, $20,000 bottles of wine. Um, yeah, it's nothing like that for, for the vast majority of cases, but but those stories are really sexy, right? <laughs> and Wall Street is, and Billions is, and whatever all the movies are made about finance, they're much more like that. It probably highlights a, a, a big problem that we have in the United Kingdom, and, and, and probably ac- across the world as well, is that we don't teach people in schools much about financial services. In fact, mm. I, I can't remember being taught anything about financial mm. services until I was well advanced into into my um, final years at school when I did mm. did an economic subject. And then, yes, we did start to learn about markets and finance and how money moves around the world and that sort of thing. But I think that when people have a gap in their education, they tend to fill that gap with what they read in the media and what they see mm. on television and what they see in films, and, that, and that's probably why people do have these um, perceptions of what hedge, of hedge funds managers or, or wide boys on Wall Street. But they, all, but they also just don't really have a firm grasp of what an investment is and what a, mm. a safe investment is or what a risky investment is, and and it takes somebody like yourself to come along and write a book that effectively demystifies it. Now, I'm a massive believer in simplicity. I mean, it's one of my crusades over 25 years in, in, in doing marketing has been trying to cut through the, the what I call the management speak and the bloat and the gobbledygook that we, and the jargon that we tend to find, you know, swamps corporate life and swamps marketing. And, you know, I think it's really interesting that you've chosen to, to focus on demystifying investing and demystifying mm. finance yes. so how did you get into writing the second book which is more of a focus on how to invest without the complexity I, well so what happened was it's actually always been I mean, for those that know me this might be a bit surprising but I was actually gonna teach portfolio theory I was just something I was thinking pretty hard about and when I did my undergraduate and Ended up graduating with a pile of debt, and then Wall Street came and offered a well-paying job, so it didn't happen. But, I mean, I always thought that, you know, the chances of, it's called normal people, average investors, the chances they can go and beat the market are minuscule. Yeah. And they are at a huge, everything disadvantage, cost, information, analysis, you name it, disadvantage. Yet there are very few people um, with a vested interest in telling them that. Mm. You know, they're, 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 the, the financial firms, the media, the advisors, no one traditionally has really had a strong incentive to, to, to tell them that you should just not spend a lot of time or money on finance mm. and you should buy index tracking investments. And so I thought, well... I can tell that story, right? Because I've been on both sides of it, the academic side of it and 
and uh, you know, I've been an active investor at a hedge fund. Yeah, and I, I've seen, and I, you know, I'm still very involved. In fact, I just come from a hedge fund now, but um, seen up close what someone like my mother is competing with, and she simply does not have a chance. But how, you know, so I wanted to write a book with that premise, namely the premise that markets are incredibly hard to beat. And what should you do on the basis of that? And 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 that became investing demystified. And it's actually sold a lot more than the first one. It's kind of interesting because it's a much broader market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As sexist we just said it is, hedge funds are only interesting to so many people. Yes. So obviously in the book you talk about the difference between actively managed funds and passive managed funds. Do you also talk about evidence-based investment? And the reason I ask for that is that uh, I actually talked to a guy on the podcast in the other day who was making a case for evidence-based investment now obviously um, a passive investment an index tracker to a large extent is evidence-based but what he was Mm. saying was that you can you can do a little bit more research and sort of move yourself a little bit away from passive towards the active side but you're Mm. you're not really opening yourself up to as much risk as you would be if you went fully active yeah i I find that kind of, it's just, it's a bit like people who talk about smart beta and things like that. Mm. Generally, I say don't, don't start that at all. Mm. Stay strictly indexing. Because what are you really saying? Let's, uh, you know, what is evidence based investing or active investing? Let's take an example that's so typical for smart beta to say, well, let's just create an, an, an index that only has the stocks that have low PE multiples, mm. right? Or, low price to book value or that only have the stocks that Warren Buffett buys or something like that. Yeah. So what are you really seeing by buying that? You're saying, well, I'm still buying an index, sort of, but it's just a little cleverer. <laughs> now, if you think about that, you're really, it's a dramatic statement because you're saying that, let's say your index now involves a quarter of the stock market and you're really saying that you are smarter than the 75% that you're not buying, <laughs> which is, you know, you've already crossed the line of saying something, saying that you know about investing, and a really very, very bold statement at that. In fact, you know, if you could do that consistently, you could sell that trade to hedge funds for a fortune, right? You yes. buy the it, you buy the smart evidence investing index of twenty five percent, and you short the market against it, and you now have a market neutral trade that should make you money. Mm-hmm. And you take that, you gear it up a hundred times, and you're going to be richer than Warren Buffett in no time if you are right. Mm. Mm. The point is, it's not easy. Once you even begin that trip into, you know, um, I, I can be something. I know something. You're making implicitly some very bold statements, which I'm saying most people are just not equipped to even start making. I guess we live in a world these days where so many of us expect an instant outcome don't we you know you send an you send an email or you send a tweet or you send a, a send a text and you want to reply within 10 seconds and like anything investments are a long game you know and, and particularly investments are a very long game really if you if you want things to grow over time whereas we we do seem to be conditioned these days you know to have instant gratification and again i think a lot of that comes back to the media and what we see on television and what we see on films and, yeah. and, and again what no i don't it? disagree I, yeah. I mean in fact any if i promise anything it's the 
over decade periods. <laughs> forget about years, and, and even then I don't promise it. Yeah. All I'm saying is that on average, over a long period of time, you will do far better if you can't beat the market by buying index tracking investment than any kind of active investments or picking stocks yourself. Mm-hmm. And why do I say that? It's statistically overwhelmingly true. Um, whether you picking stocks yourself or you buy an actively managed fund. And just to put things in perspective, and this is kind of perhaps a way to phrase it. I did this example where you have a guy driving a train on the London Underground. And let's say they make 50,000 pounds a year. Yeah. Which I think is about right, actually. Right? And let's say they further take 10% of their uh, income and put it in um, aside every year in savings. And they do that between the ages 26 and 67 from memory. Mm-hmm. Let's further say that they invest all the money in equities tax-free. It's a bad assumption, but it's just to keep it clean. And then the equities do in the future like they have in the past. What do you think is the difference between in retirement, between having put all that money in an active fund and a passive fund, so an index tracking fund on average? So the answer is around 280,000 pounds. Wow. Right. So that is 280,000 pounds that has gone to the financial industry as opposed to you over a lifetime. Mm. And this is for a person who's, not, who's making 50 grand a year. Yeah. It's staggering. It matters a great, great, great deal. And that, by the way, is in today's money. That's yeah. not in future value money. Yeah. So that's real money, inflation adjusted. Um, and so, you know, it's really expensive to try. It, you know, think of it this way. Anytime you talk to someone wearing a suit, it's not going to be cheap. You may not know <laughs> how it's not cheap, but it's not going to be cheap. Right? They, there's a reason that the people sell you those products. You know, th- so that saving right there is like the equivalent of what, six Porsche cars. Mm-hmm. Right? And there's a reason the guy on the train doesn't drive a Porsche, but the people selling the stuff does. And, and that is why. So it matters. And as soon as you get into the statements of saying, well, you know, I can sort of beat it a little bit. You know, I can maybe pick up the returns a little bit or someone on the golf course said something or whatever it is. You very, very, very quickly slip back. And not only that, but we tend to remember our winners and not our losers. And so, you know, there's a huge feeling of, ooh, you know, I bought Google. How smart am I? Yeah. And – and and we because we I think it's kind of human nature that we everyone has done less well than they think they have. Right? Um, but here, all I'm saying is you're gonna be average, and you're gonna be average, but without the costs. And that's a that's a win if you are not able to beat the markets. That's a huge win. How did you go about writing the book, Lars? Did you talk to a lot of men on the street and find out exactly what uh, issues and perceptions they had on, on investments and did you effectively build the book That's around that? That's a good question. Answers? I've actually never been asked that before, yeah. like whether I went and talked to people. I, no, I didn't actually. It sounds weird to say. I I kind of wanted it to be like a story I wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and having seen the industry from the inside, every aspect of the industry, so I have a pretty good idea of what, who thinks what. Um, but what I, I kind of wanted it to be a story where I could say, well, look, you, I'm not 
making definitive statements about whether markets can be beaten or not. I don't think you have to make that statement. Mm-hmm. The statement I'm making is that you, Mr. or Mrs. Reader, have to decide whether you, with yourself whether you can. I'm not, you know, I'm not a, that big a hypocrite to say markets can't be beaten, but I was a hedge fund manager getting really rich on, on heavy fees. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm not that big a hypocrite. <laughs> so I'm not saying markets can't be beaten. I'm just saying that the vast majority can't. And that the first question you have to ask yourself is which category do you fit into? Yeah. So when someone comes to you to talk about smart beta, evidence-based investing, et cetera, et cetera, well, I mean, they might have a brilliant insight. Chances are they don't, mm. but they might. And I'm saying I don't even have to make that statement. All I have to say is you, Mr. Listener, Mrs. Listener, reader, whatever, can you beat the market? Mm. And if you're being completely honest with yourself, the answer is that you cannot. Now, if you are the person driving a train on the London Underground and you think you can, but you can't, then on average, that decision will cost you about a quarter of a million pounds over a working life. So get that decision right. Sounds like it's a decision that you definitely need to get right when you put it into those terms. Quarter of yeah, a million matters. pounds. It really wow, does. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it really does. Yeah. And also, I mean, I'll tell you one interesting thing. So I get a lot of emails. I have four in my inbox today from readers or viewers or something. And and I really like it. And by the way, the funny thing about getting feedback I've realized is people tend to give you good feedback. Because if it's bad feedback, they don't write you a personal email telling you that, that, you, you, that you're an idiot. Right? Yes. <laughs> so it tends to be nice. And so therefore, I can feel really good about myself, which, which I appreciate. But I tell you one thing that I've gotten through the feedback, which is really interesting, is the main benefit is actually time. Mm. Because if we live in this sort of narrative, you have to beat the markets and you have to read the Financial Times and read the blogs and the chat rooms and do the trading and all that, figure out which manager is hot now and not hot now. It's just a ton of time while stressing about getting decisions right and wrong. If you just buy an index tracker and a guy like me can convince you to do that, you just, and then not only do I say that, but I say never trade it. Just leave it alone. Think a lot about risk. Think a lot about tax, but don't trade so the main benefit a lot of people have gotten is like, oh, I no longer like read the financial pages. I no longer care if Vodafone is trading at a PE multiple of 15 or 25 because I don't think I should care because of the way I now invest. So the time savings and the savings from stuff like subscriptions to various services, broker commissions, fees to this and that, and tax benefits are huge. Mm. But it's kind of, you know, almost to me, it was like a secondary benefit. It was time. <clears throat> so you've got two books out there and you've turned the second book into a series of videos. What's mm. next, Lars? Are you going to write another book? Have you got another <laughs> subject in mind or is that you done with um, books now? I don't know. I was actually at <laughs> my publishers last week about potentially writing a book about financial modeling. So maybe something in that space. I don't know, to be honest. I'd like, you know. I don't know, maybe one day. I will say it's been demystifying itself to write a book. If anyone out there is thinking about it, it's, it's you know, if you have a good story and some good anecdotes and you sort of just get started, it it's less of a big deal than most people think. 
I don't think I know anyone that can't write a book. Well, I know that's not true. <laughs> but, um, well, most of my friends would be able to write a book if they really wanted to do it. But it's a bit like running a marathon. For people that have done it, it's not that big a deal. But for a lot of people that haven't, it's this overwhelming, impossible thing. So, so you know, if you have a story itself, by all means, get started. Yeah, well, I'm about fifteen thousand words into mine at the moment, and it's been something. Oh, that's, that it's yeah, been that's some, like a quarter of the way, or twenty yeah, percent of the way. Right? It's been something I've been putting off for a long time, but uh, over the last. Oh, year, that's interesting. What are you writing about? I'm effectively writing a book about how to put together marketing strategies for people who hate all the complexity, and, and in in fact, for people who get put off by words like strategy. So I want to try to help small businesses and you know one man bands who don't know anything about marketing but are put off by all the academic definitions mm-hmm. and all the um, complexity mm-hmm. that's out there. Just something nice and simple. And as you say, twenty five years worth of anecdotes can add up to quite a lot of knowledge. Yeah. So that's yeah. the that's the starting point. So that's interesting. When I I mean this my second my two books are quite different, but. When people talk about my first book, they always remember the anecdotes. Mm. It's the little mm. stories. Yeah. You know, it's not the sort of grand conclusions I write up about, but no, no, it's the little, oh, I can't believe this happened or that happened. <laughs> How funny is that? We, we are and, driven by story, I think. Absolutely. I'd highly recommend just, and don't give up, and then do a bunch of structuring and editing and you know, get yourself an agent, and you know, there's a good chance someone will want the book. That's... Particularly, by the way, this perhaps not you can cut this from here if you want, but like you already have an audience. Yeah, exactly. And if you think about it from a published perspective, it's you know that's a great. This is all really interesting, Lars, and I I really do appreciate your um, thoughts and feedback on the idea of writing a book and and the fact that anecdotes drive the interest in this sort of thing. This mm. is the Marketing and Finance Podcast, Lars, mm. and I always ask my guests, is there a marketing campaign or could be a product, I guess, as well, that's mm. caught your attention recently? So it could have been an advert, it could have been a product, it could have been a campaign. Tell mm. us what it was and what you liked about it. So, and this is not just because I'm a finance nerd, but I'm, I'm actually really interested in some of the stuff around um, this whole transfer-wise and um products like that that are trying to disintermediate all the massive bank fees that we all incur but very often don't know about mm-hmm. so whether it's it's um a you know transfer wise where you can ex- your currency exchange is much cheaper or it's uh, revolute you know this idea that you can use credit cards abroad where um you uh, don't incur the implicit a massive uh, credit card and exchange fees. Uh, I like the way they have made that become sort of something young, smart, tech-savvy people would do, particularly mm-hmm. TransferWise has done that really well, mm-hmm. and make the banks, existing banks, which are, by the way, still 100 times the size, yeah, and make those guys appear sort of slightly stodgy and old. Um, so I like I like that space and those people a lot. I think they, they have a great thing. Um they have a great thing going, and some of them will succeed. And is there a business book you've re- read recently that you've really enjoyed, in addition to your own, of course? <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't read my own recently, so uh, that, that's a, that's own. I, you know, I I read a lot. I I uh, um probably more than uh, 
and what's good for me. But I've been very interested in reading some books about um, AI, artificial intelligence. Mm. Uh, I just read the Tech Marks book called Life 3.0. Mm-hmm. Not really a business book, but um, it's about uh, yeah, su- sort of super AI, uh, super intelligence. And and it's, it, I'll tell you what's interesting about that topic is that if you embrace some of his arguments or you buy some of his argument, it's hard for that to not matter a yeah. huge deal in your thinking. So it's, it's, you know, you can dismiss it. You can not agree with him. You say he's crazy. But if you don't say that, and he's a very well-researched and interesting guy, then you can't help thinking about other stuff, the sort of the impact of the rise of, of um, computer-driven intelligence and what does that mean for our lives, both in the near but certainly in the longer term. Yeah. Um, so that was a good book. I don't recommend that area. Yeah, again, AI is one of these areas where a lot of people have preconceived impressions about it, and we hear a lot of hype in the media. Mm. And again, a balanced view on what it means for everybody is is, mm. is to be welcomed. Lars, it's been fascinating to talk to you this afternoon about quite a lot of things about active versus passive, the books that you've written, the videos you've put together, and of course your recommendations for further reading and such like so i'm hoping that people listening to the podcast are going to want to get in touch with you and what would be the best way for them to do that could be email um, yeah website, send me an Twitter. email or if it's like a question finance related i like it to be on the youtube channel mm-hmm. just so others so i can answer more broadly and um and uh yeah and uh, that that works well the, the youtube channel but other than that i'm easy to find on on an email great stuff what i'll do is i'll include links on the show notes of the podcast which you can find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash maf that's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash maf Lars, thank you so much for coming on to the show no my pleasure thanks for having me fascinating to talk to you and enjoy the rest of your day and maybe we'll meet up in london sometime for a coffee great stuff it was really nice talking yeah okay we'll be in touch Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.